and welcome again to Grau Radio and the Garden here. I'm Frida Morrison and you join me enjoying a fine summer autumn day, right in the cusp of a season change, I would say. You can tell it's changing by the left and the temperature at night, but more than that, by the swallows gathering on the wire over my head, just standing here watching them and skimming down low to catch the beasties. Don't it be long before they disappear for winter? And as Robert Burns puts it in his poem and song, Now Westland Winds, that starts, Now Westland Winds and slaughtering guns bring autumn's pleasant weather. And later in the song he says, Thick fly the skimming swallows, the sky is blue, which it is, the fields in view, all fading green and yellow. Lovely pictures and a favourite burn song. Fuva to the garden here. And the garden has taken on the seasonal hue and the noises. And the leaves and the glory vine climbing up the birk tree, changing colour already. I'm just standing looking at them as well. And they'll eventually turn into great big leaves as, as big as plates and are the bonniest autumn colours with reeds, orange and yellows. Then into the greenhouse. Right. Here we go. Through the wee door again. That's us. <laughs> the heat in here is quite high. Well, the first thing to say is the nasturtiums have gained berserk. They're like triffids new and they need to come out. Most of them anyway. But I'll put the plants in an I'll sheet or some, uh, some sort of fabric and let them drop their seeds. Fit I'll use for the, the hanging baskets next year. And then I'll put in some lettuce plants in their place. Now let's gang up to the far end. I'm just passing a beautiful clump of crocosmia, Lucifer, the bright red Lucifer with the colour. The row of tomato plants just hanging heavy with tomatoes. But they're taking an awful long time to, to ripen this year. They are beginning to start new, but gosh, this is late. Right, got towards the, the wild flowers. And the colours are vibrant yellow, or like a, an ochre, yellow ochre, and wine centres. It really is a show. And if I can get these flowers to grow outside, and the bit I've prepared for them, it will be absolutely stunning. And that's going to be my new, my new experiment next year. The plan here is to cut them when the flower goes into the seed stage. And the big new idea is to spread the cut flower seeds out over a part of the back green that they'll let grow into land grass in the hope that the seeds will self-plant themselves and mix with the land grass. Easy. <laughs> Came for the mean. The birds will have parties, wait you see, eating all my seeds. That's what happened last time I tried this. But anyway, that's going to be an experiment for, for next year. I'm just passing doing past, speaking about triffids, I had a new variety, a cucumber, and the, the fruits or the, the vegetables hanging through the plants are as big as 
I would say, marrows. They're massive, but they're really, really good to eat. But uh, as I said, what a huge crop. Abneed has spoken to us. A huge crop of cucumbers this year, but we'll be dealing that later in the programme as well, because we have got a new recipe for you, fit to deal with an abundance of cucumbers. So, pass and doing into the, the greenhouse again. Closing the door, or the rabbit will get in. I've got a rabbit in the, in the garden. One year I lost the entire crop of carrots because the rabbit got into the greenhouse. I'm not going to speak about that anymore. It was a very sad day. Without further ado, follow me down the garden path again to join the team. Ah, sitting, patiently waiting in their own little virtual sheds. And welcome to Ground Radio. Hello and welcome to our virtual sheds. I'm still Frida Morrison and the team are again with us in other glory, enthused with the notion that it's time to speak about food for the garden. It's the hair season. It hasn't been easy. Some things have worked. Others will went after glide. That can you expect heat waves, monsoons, thunderstorms, carnacks and, and mere heat waves. Anyway. We've got what we've got, and on that note, let me introduce the team. In the left shed, we'll soon start our Richie Werner. Hi, hi, how's it going? <laughs> oh, going fine, as you can hear, it's half a busy. Okay. What's been happening doing in Edinburgh Garden, Richie? Uh, you know, all sorts of weird and wonderful things. So I don't know if you mind, right back at the start of the Grill Radio series this year, uh, I had moved a rose and it wasn't very happy, and uh, I'd sort of cut its roots by mistake a bit because I kind of had to, and it's been in a barrel all this time. Anyway, four months later, it started putting out leaves again. So Dave, you were right, I just had to be patient. What else is happening? You mentioned Crocosmia at the start there. I've got an abundance of shooting orange flame in the back garden, which is just beautiful. And it's that very same Crocosmia. So, and the rock sedum as well is starting to show colour. So it's that's just a beautiful that's time good. of year, isn't it? And the barons are back at school, Richie. Barons are back at school. Finally. Yes, yes, indeed. So they're loving it, actually. It's good. And in the shed on the right, chair of the Open Garden Scheme and the past curator at the Ember Botanics, welcome, Dave Mitchell. How are you doing, Frida? Okay, fix your topics this episode, Dave. Well, we've got wasps, wisterias, and bonnie plants for late summer and early autumn. Oh, great. That's it. What? Did you say wasps? Aye, wasps, wisterias, and bonnie plants for late summer and early autumn. Can I get this in quite early so that Abby can feel sorry for me? I was stung on the cheek by a wasp this Ooh. week. Oops, yeah. I, oh, I looked like me. a chipmunk for a few days, but uh, it's going to do a bit of new. Uh, I, I just Oof. wouldn't be getting photographed for a while, put it that way. <laughs> Great face for radio, as they say. Right, we'll cook with the art of magic. Come into us, Fela Haber, if she's off the ferry in time. <laughs> I'll say that again, if she's off the ferry in time. Welcome, Claire Patterson. Hiya, Frida. I'm off the ferry. Abby's <laughs> going to say, well, fit why did you keep referring to the ferry? Can, <laughs> Okay, Claire, I'm going to give you this opportunity to tell folk in brief it happened, the last programme. Oh, oh well, la- la- last programme, um, I, I got a wee bit double booked and I found myself on the wrong side of the ferry when everyone else was waiting to record. So <laughs> not to be repeated, but it was a very, a very panicked journey home and 
the ferry came into its own. Heaven knows how you made it. She went off to do her shopping, forgot that would change the date, to be honest. How could I, how could I do it? How, how could, could I? you do that? And within I? half an hour, she got back to her house. The ferry man must have been half, half a quick. Must be like Mission Impossible. It was Mission Impossible. Well, radio edition. <laughs> and our special guest, Faye the shed. come in, Mr. Steve Byrne of that ilk. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, Steve. Aye. Now, the last time we heard from you, you'd just seen our, your first allotment. So we'll start off this episode in your garden, Steve. Give your first question. Well, I was wondering, Frida, because that's this end of August, getting into September now, and I suppose you get in the first throws with a new allotment. Uh, we got it in April there, and you're able to just throw things in the ground. Of course, we had the cold weather and everything, but we managed to get a load in the ground, and it's been growing bra over the summer. But I was just wondering what to maybe think about doing now uh, over the winter. So I wondered, again, uh, Dave had any ideas what we could maybe be still planting now and maybe getting to grow. Again, we've not got much licht and warmth left in the next couple of months, but just to see if we do any ideas for winter crops. Okay, Dave, on yourself. There is a lot of things that will do well in the winter, but you're in your first year with the allotment and it's a case of getting your growing cycle going. But things like chard, leeks, kale, savoy cabbage, perpetual spinach, if you've got sprouting broccoli in, and then there's other things that are shorter term, like komasuma, mizuna and red mustard, um, pak choy, and don't forget your parsnips as well, you know. The other thing is the role of a cold frame and a polytunnel. But I think for you with your allotment in your first year, just getting the ground the way that you want it, working that soil, getting it clean, getting it moving, getting yourself organised, and just thinking about next season, getting your seeds ordered and all that. Use this winter as an opportunity to feed, treat, and, you know, really prepare the soil and prepare yourself well for next year. Some of the crops that I've mentioned just now, you should have them in the ground at this time next year mm -hmm. so that they'll help to tide you through the winter. Fair okay, enough. thanks, Dave. And Steve, who has it been done in your first season? If it's worked and fit his now, would you say? Well, like I was saying, we got it just at Easter there, so we kind of got into that cold snap that we had for kind of March into April, and we basically had to head off putting things in for a while. But when we got things in, we had one of the, the mini polytunnels and managed to keep things going for a while. We didn't really lose anything. So we've had great results with kohlrabi, uh, we've had kale, like again, like the clappers, cavalonero especially. I mean, you can't kill the damn thing. Um, no. So we're eating it like it's it's going out of fashion. Um, beets have been grand, uh, variety card boltardi. Uh, I've had some mm -hmm. blackberries in. I my brother-in-law works on a berry firm in Angus, and uh, you've maybe seen these long blackberries in the shops called Caraca Black. They come from New Zealand, and I managed to get a couple of bushes still and got them in in about my time, and they've been absolutely bra. Um, I mean, they're growing out of the place now, but I'll later think about cutting them uh, back later on. But they're still fruiting there now. They've been fruiting for about a month, six weeks, getting on for. But what hasn't worked is my tatties. Um, I got my earlies in and they were absolutely grand, Aaron pilots, no bother at all. However, I made the mistake of putting in a main crop in an allotment, which I'm telling isn't really a good idea. And I found out why, because I've got wire worm, which isn't it. Wire really worm, oh my goodness. Uh, Dave, any advice about wire worm? Well, really, wire worms, you know, are, 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 are a bit of a problem in, in the sense that 
you know, you tend to get them in ground that has been dormant for a while, hmm. um, or gro- particularly if somebody's taken a lawn and turned it into a vegetable plot, or if you've taken on an old allotment that exactly. hasn't been worked for a while, yeah. you generally find these nasty wee nuisances in it in the first two or three years. But general cultivation, namely digging, forking, turning the soil, raking, hoeing, will reduce the number of the adults' larvae, you know, that are there. And you'll probably find that within a couple of years, Steve, Hmm. that they've moved on. Anything that you can do to encourage predators like birds, wasps, hedgehogs, ground beetles, they all feed on wireworm larvae. And, of course, you can squish them between your finger when you see them. Of course. Um, just give them the finger and thumb squish, you know. Well, there's there's no much you can do with the, the tatties afterwards, really. I mean, I wouldn't have fancied no, no, doing no. anything with them. I, I, I think you, you know, put it down to experience. Aye. But don't see it as a loss because what you've been doing, there's nothing better than a crop of potatoes to clear the ground because you've got to dig the ground to put them in, you've got to earth them up, you've mm-hmm. got to dig the ground to lift them the ground and the soil's moving continually all the time. If you have a problem with the wireworms, sort of year two, year three, there is a nematode that you can get that's specifically sold as a treatment against wireworm, but it's got to be applied between April and September. Okay. I would think that you probably don't need that. I would think with good crop rotation and, you know, good working of the ground, these nasty nuisances will move on. Okay, thank you, Dave. And uh, Steve, we'll come back to you in a minute. Hear more of your plan and then maybe get another question for you. No, our grill garden has had a fair amount of chums and visitors this summer. And if you go onto our Grill Radio website, you can see the film that your friend Nixon made on Ena the Days in the Grill Garden on www.growradio.com. And the, the last scene was all about the visitors in our garden. To all the visitors were our pals for Dalton near Lockerbie, Fiona Dean and Paul Cosgrove. Fiona and Paul sent in a lovely bunch of questions last season, so it was a treat to actually welcome them to our garden in person, combined with a big birthday celebration for Paul, of course. Into that special supper was Paul's amazing dish of cucumber relish. Will, Claire, Abney. It was a culinary delight. And this year... A lot of us have had a bumper crop of cucumbers, so on your behalf, I took the opportunity or the visit to ask Paul to give us the recipe. First, though, what kind of season have they had at Dalton? It's, uh, it's, it's going great this year. We got off to a really kind of tricky start with the, the frost and the cold weather, of running in for such a long time, and and then just it just suddenly. It got warm burst, and it just it just burst to life, you like, know. Like here, it, it was almost like we kind of keep it back. It was like they were, the plants were desperate to get yeah. going and all this. And the weeds were chasing straight <laughs> after it as well. So, right. now, uh, I've got a bumper crop, mm. a cucumber, and last night I had the privilege of eating some of your very special cucumber recipe and cucumber <laughs> for our, our celebratory feast. So. Uh, before you go, okay, you're, you're moving on, and I would offer like you to tell us what that recipe was that you used. <laughs> it was just the best recipe ever for cucumbers because I've been here the same problem. Yeah. Can we deal with them? Yeah. Like Paul, on your own. Well, this 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 one's a really simple recipe, and you you take some of the skin off of the cucumber, 
and you thinly slice it and then salt it and leave it sitting in the salt for maybe five minutes or so. Um, but then mix up a marinade where you use like your brown sugar, uh, rice vinegar and a light and a dark soy sauce. Uh, mix that all together, maybe a little bit of uh, red chilli in there as well. And then squeeze the cucumbers, so you squeeze all of the water out of them and then put them into the, the marinade and mix it up and it's ready to go in 10 minutes. It it's just the best thing. Yeah. I've never ever tasted cucumber. It kind of like keeps it. its texture really well, and it's it's a kind of thing that's nice as a salad, you know, with other things, but you know, great with steak and great with mm. burgers on rolls, and you it's know, it's fantastic. just it's just really lovely. Listen, enjoy the rest of your trip, um, and uh, thank you for inviting me to your your celebration. <laughs> thank, thank, thank you for thank you for coming <laughs> along. Uh, and for yeah. the music, Frida. Don't forget that. I'm, I'm <laughs> glad to see you, and uh, we'll keep in contact you, with you and your garden. It's, it's been a, a fun. Paul Cosgrove and Fiona Dean, and we'll hear Mayor Fiona in a wee bit. She has a question about tomatoes. But the recipe for cucumber relish, oh boy, Claire, Abadi, Fiddy, you make of that. Have you tried any of that? I've not tried it, but it sounds easy to make and awful tasty. I'm just curious did he cut the cucumbers into rune slices or long strips using a mandolin? Little bitties, just little bitties, little, little tiny little cubes, and it was just as I said, like oh, a relish. Done as wee cubes, made like a relish. Aye, like a relish. Aye. Sounds, it sounds nice. It sounds very nice. Claire, have you tried anything like this? I mean, it sounds right up my street, like with the you know the chili and soy and rice vinegar, and these are all the things that that you turn to, you know. Um, and right. cucumbers are so there's so much you can do with them, and these kind of relishes and quick pickles and. I mean, they're great. They've just got so much to give. So much. I mean, I tried raita, and that's my limit. As you know, I am limited in my cooking skills. It has been said. It's a good start. But, raita, but this, is, this is something good. This is something I can try. Right. Claire, this being the hair season, the fruits of our labours coming into the garden, to the table. Let's keep in a food theme for the moment. Use your thirst to our recipes. Well, Frida, I'm going to start with um, cucumber today. So we're still on topic here. Um, so topic. I am smashing my cucumbers and seasoning them with chilli and sesame and soy. So you take your cucumber, your whole cucumber, just give it a wash if it needs it. And you just sort of smash them lightly with a rolling pin. So they kind of, and they kind of break apart and you get all these wee crevices and nooks that will catch your dressing. And my dressing that I like, I make it from teaspoon of sugar, pinch of salt, tablespoon of soy sauce, half a tablespoon of rice vinegar, a clove of grated garlic and a teaspoon of, I use a chilli sesame oil, but you could just use a plain sesame oil if you don't like it spicy. And then you have your cucumbers, that's spooned over, and then some finely sliced saibis and some toasted sesame seeds. And that's a great side dish or part of a bigger wonderful beast. that sounds lovely as well uh, i mentioned tomatoes and, and uh, a big crop of tomatoes anything there Aye, so this is this is a kind of i guess a tomato salad but um the key to it is this sort of gloriously flavored tomato water that you get which is sometimes called tomato essence or tomato consomme if you're being a bit chefy and it just gives you that amazing hit of ripe tomato flavor so to make that, I would take some big tomatoes, take the skins off by cutting across in the bottom and then you just blanch them in boiling water for maybe 30 seconds and then the skin peels off. 
And then you put the skin to one side, quarter your tomatoes, take the seeds out, and then keep that watery, seedy bit and put that with your wee pile of the skins. The flesh from the tomatoes, you dice it up and keep that to one side. And for the tomato water, you take the skins and all the seedy, innerdy bits and you give them a really good squish or you can give them a quick whiz in a blender. And then you put that through a sieve or a cheesecloth for a really clear result. And add season that with a wee bit of salt, a wee bit of olive oil, maybe a wee tiny bit of white wine vinegar. And then that just goes at the bottom of your bowl, your diced tomatoes on top, then some half or quartered colourful cherry tomatoes, whatever you've got, those lovely, um, lovely fruits. And that's your salad. Um, at work, I would top that with a wee bit of white crab meat and maybe some chives and borage flowers, oh. but also just as tomatoes, as a celebration of the tomato. It's beautiful. The tomato and homegrown tomatoes, you kind of beat it, kind of, kind of beat that taste. Can you beat it? Ken, for the recipe I found in my files the other day, yesterday, carrot marmalade. Dave, did you need oh, carrot some carrot? Nah, we're not going there again. I did that, I did that on another programme years ago and we got hundreds and hundreds of letters for the recipe. We're not doing that again. We're not doing that again. But I, I, tell, I tell you, one of the really simplest things with a tomato, homegrown tomato, just leave it sitting in the sun, leave them in the sun, cut them into thin slices, put them on a plate, put a drizzle of olive oil on them and a grind of black pepper, yeah. dancing. Yeah. Brilliant. Dancing. Dancing. If you're being posh, put a bit of basil leaf on it. Yeah. But it's the warm, isn't it? Like, not chilled, warm. It's warm. warm. It's the fact yeah. that the tomatoes yeah. warm. them. refrigerate. You should never eat tomatoes Dinner in the fridge. refrigerate your no. tomatoes. Get a nice bowl and keep them in your no. counter. <laughs> right. Yeah. Motto for today is dinner, refrigerate your tomatoes. Right. As we're here, Gerner, you will be telling us this time about late doers and forgotten heroes. Most of us are in that category but we are resigned to that fact these days. But that's for later. This time, we start with the wonders of Wisteria. Dave, back to you. Ah, gosh, I love Wisterias, Frida. You can, they flower from May to June, and they're just absolutely beautiful. This long-lived, deciduous climbing shrub, pendants of scented flowers. You know, they can transform the look of a property. There's something kind of cottage garden. Dave, can I just wisteria. ask, right away, how did they come from? Well, wisterias are native to China, Japan and Korea, um, but there's also a couple of species found in North America. Wisteria sinensis, the Chinese wisteria, is a, a, a really beautiful thing and it's widely available. Wisteria floribunda, the Japanese wisteria, again, is widely available. And then there's wisteria brachybotrys, the silky wisteria. But a queer thing, Wisteria sinensis, its stems grow anti-clockwise. And Wisteria floribunda, its stems grow clockwise. And all the hybrids mm -hmm. also grow clockwise. Okay, Dave, can I ask just a, a dark question? That's a simple question. How would I choose him? How would you choose a Wisteria? Right. Well, it's not a daft question, Frida, because... You know, you really need to buy a plant that's been raised from grafting. They're Ooh. more expen they're more expensive. If you're getting a cheap wisteria, the chances are it's been grown from seed and you'll be waiting twenty years for it to flower. So pay the money, buy a grafted plant, 
you can recognise a grafted plant because it's got a wee bulge at the base of the stem. And they usually take between three to five years to begin to flower. And actually, most nurseries nowadays only offer grafted plants. Okay. But it's worth paying the money for them. Another daft question. What's the best way to grow them? Well, it's nae daft because, you know, they're a big, strong plant that live for many years and they need a lot of support. You either grow them up a wall um, or grow them up a really strong pergola. They're, they're nae something to be putting on a wee lightweight trellis because, you know, it'll no hold them up long term. Personally, I like them on the wall, um, maybe over the door or around the window where you can enjoy the fragrance. But if you can get them on a pergola and walk through them, you'll really oh, be able to enjoy, enjoy them as well. They need a, a south-facing aspect, I think, really here in Scotland. A well-drained soil, south-southwest-facing, as I said. Planting them sometime between in the spring or in the autumn. They're mm. greedy plants. They've a big appetite, these boys, mm -hmm. and they like a deep, well-drained soil, and you should put plenty of organic matter, garden compost, farmyard manure, whatever you can get your hands on, into the ground before you plant them. Do you prune them? Aye, you do prune them, um, and that pruning is particularly important if you are growing them in a container, which you can do, but it's a wee bit more complicated. You should prune them twice a year, August and then February, there is a lot of research being done recently that if you didn't prune them, you know, they will actually continue to flower, but they they take up a lot of space. So they really need pruned twice a year where you cut off the very low branches and you train the strong side shoots. And then once the plants mature, you should cut off the really long whippy growths every year in August and you'll and you'll be fine. And then, you know, you can cut them back again in February. To be honest, you'll no kill them, but you do need to prune them and get them into shape properly. Right, finally, varieties. What would you recommend? Oh, man. Do you know, I just looked in the latest edition of the Plant Finder, and there's over 60 different cultivars now. So it's very much a matter of personal choice and availability. But straight Wisteria sinensis, and there's a white form of that, brilliant. There's a variety called Prolific, which is violet blue flowers. There's another one called Domino. Domino's um, a wee bit better because it's not as vigorous. So if you've got a small garden, Domino's a good choice. Coochie Benny has pink flowers. And then there's, there's Floribunda macrobotrys. There's another one called Okiyama that I like. It's got really strong scented flowers. Very, very strong scented. And there's another one called Shiro Capitan that has a big yellow splash on the banner of the flowers. Go to the garden centre, have a look, have your choice, prepare the ground well, be bold, pay the money, put them in. And the sooner you do it when you're in a new property, the more benefit you'll get out of it. Right, hi Dave. Right, Steve, back to you for your second or third, can I mind? We've gone through a few questions. This time it's about crop rotation. Hi, Dave mentioned it there just in terms of getting your, your grunt going with the, the new allotment and, and sick like. It's not that big, it's uh, 6 by 10 metres and I just want up Dave because I mean it's a takes a bit of planning and any of the things that we're trying to do as well is succession planting so we don't have our many spots that are just sitting empty. So just wondering how much we should be worrying about crop rotation and if there are any definite no-nos. Well, I think crop rotation, Steve, is absolutely 
key to success in any vegetable garden. It doesn't really matter the size of the plot. It helps to reduce the build-up of specific pests and disease problems. And really all it does is organise your crops and groups according to their cultivation needs. So, you know, it improves soil fertility, it improves weed control, it improves pest and disease control. And there's really two basic systems. You can have a three-year rotation or a four-year rotation. It really just depends on what your priority in the way of crops are. Mm -hmm. If your priorities are potatoes and brassicas, then a three-year rotation is really adequate. If you want to have potatoes and brassicas and also legumes, which take up a lot of space, Aye. then a four-year rotation is the, the system that you would adopt. But let's just go for the basics, you know, with a three-year rotation. What you need to do is divide your plot into three sections. And in year one, in section one, you would put your potatoes and in section two, your legumes and your onions and your roots. And in mm -hmm. section three, you would put your brassicas. And then when you come to year two, you put your legumes and your onions into section one. Aye. And your brassicas into section two and your potatoes into section three. And in year three, your brassicas go to section one, your potatoes to section two, and your legumes and onions and roots into section three. The best tip I can do is get a sheet of A4 paper, divide it into four on a miserable December, January day, sit down, draw it out, <laughs> and write out your list of seeds and keep your list and your wee drawing year to year. If you do that, you will actually maximise the production from a small plot much more. Many years ago in my career, I had to do that, and I did it year on, year on, for nigh on six years, and we grew a huge range of things in a demonstration garden, and it wouldn't have been possible without that sheet of paper that was very meticulously laid out. And it also helps you to save money, and it helps you to concentrate your effort in the garden. Thank you, Mr. Dave. That was a really uh, beautiful Beautiful example of how to plan your garden laid out very, very clearly. I like that one. I can't emphasise that enough, Frida. Thinking before you buy and thinking before you dig is the key to a successful allotment. Take time to plan it. You'll make life a lot easier for yourself and more fun. Thanks, Dave. Clear, very, very clear answer there. New. Earlier on, I mentioned my new plan for my wildflower seeds. Dave, you heard that I had in mind. I'm going to wait till they come into seed, the seed heads. I'm going to cut the stalks and the seed heads, then put them down on the area I've prepared. I've cut the grass, put them down there and leave them there to just drop the seeds into the soil and the grass over winter. And I hope that some of the seed will take. Am I Am I on the, I'm in the rest lines there? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a sort of adaptation now of what, is done in a lot of other situations to improve meadows where people will harvest hay from an existing uh, wildflower hay meadow and then they'll transfer it to another area and spread the hay on top of the ground thinly and then the seeds come out of it and natural regeneration takes place. Yeah. So if you're harvesting the wildflower heads on one part of your garden and then going to lay them down on the ground in another bit that you're trying to seed, 
then that should work very well. And that also has the advantage, it's the same genotype that's in your mm. garden. You're not introducing a genotype from elsewhere, which yeah. I always think is a positive thing. It's a brilliant display in the greenhouse. The colours are just phenomenal. I was really pleased with this mixture. Uh, so I'll try that. And as I said in, in the introduction last time, I tried just putting the seed into the earth. And boy, did the birdies have parties. They had lots of parties on my seed. <laughs> And they were just out there dancing, had kayleys, singing, the heads off, eating my seeds. <laughs> I didn't get any flowers. So hopefully this time it will it will happen. Right, Steve, I'm back to you again. Hmm. In every episode so far, we have been featuring a new section card, Did You Can? Did You Can? We have to come up with a, a little tent fact about something that affects our garden. Beasties, bugs, critters, plants, weather, that kind of thing. So far, Uwe Dave has been voted the best at Digicam, so we set the scene for another challenge. Okay, Dave, fix your Digicam this time. Well, it's an easy one. It'll give you an off effect. Digicam that there's over 9,000 different kinds of wasps in the United Kingdom. Wasps, oh, There's gall wasps, digger wasps, spider hunting wasps, potter wasps, and mason wasps. And the common wasp that we see, its Latin name is Vespula vulgaris. I just wonder if that's got anything to do with the name of the Vespa scooter. Again, bzz, bzz. <laughs> <laughs> and then, but here's another queer fact, you can. It's only female wasps that he stings. Male wasps didn't sting you. <laughs> wasps muck paper, and wasp, the wasp makes its nest the paper in its nest out of chowing bark. And uh, you get you get about fifty thousand wasps in a decent bike oh, every year. And oh, they all come for a single queen that oh, lays her eggs in the spring. But the wasp is also the gardener's best friend. Because it, it each wasp eats about a hundred aphids a day. So. so on that basis, a good wasp spike will eat five million aphids a year. Oof. When the fuck counts them? <laughs> I wouldn't I just say that the wasp is my favourite friend in the garden, having sat here for a while now with a sting on my cheek, fair waps. Barb's the wee dog didn't do anything but she got stung in the paw. But my Aww. topic this time is adders, because I've heard of other dogs being bitten by adders, nay far away. So, and did you can, did you can, that for adders in this, they didn't lay eggs. Instead, they give birth to around 20 young adders in late summer, i.e. like new, and they have been kent to live as long as 10 years. Did you get that? Um, did you get that? No. no. I did. I've seen them up Glenesque when I was a bairn. Wondered what oh. other kind of slithering in the, in the grass was. It was young adders. Young adders at this time of year. Right. Right. They don't often bite folk unless they're disturbed. Uh, they tend to, to keep themselves to themselves, but... You know, I have heard uh, somebody's dog being quite badly affected by a, another mm. bite. It's near a good thing. Yeah. Right, Steve, have you got a did you can? Did you can that somebody that's tacking lumps at your courgettes isn't the slugs, it's caterpillars. Now. <laughs> the other night, me and the bairn got out, and it was a bit of weak. I had noticed that my wee modules that I was bringing on and the wee grow house were uh, getting nibbled by something. So we can't look with snails and slugs and anything around here. So we collected them together, 
tackling them awa, and then we didn't had a look at the courgettes to see what was going on there, and we found this wee green caterpillar filling its belly, absolutely munching uh, a courgette to bits, <laughs> and uh, it just has been doing it nicht after nicht, and luckily it was one of the courgettes that had gone a bit soft at the end, but I had no idea that that was a caterpillar that was tackling muckle lumps. I never heard of that, Steve, that's a good yep. as well, you might get the prize this time. Okay, Claire, for sure, did you can? Did you can, Frida, that a pepistrel bat will eat 3,000 midges every night? Oh, fantastic. Oh, wicked, I I love that. Anything, (laughs) anything that dents the midges. So between the bats and the swallows, they're keeping them at bay. So I applaud them. That's a good end, Claire. Uh, 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 that, that, that's, that gets my vote this time. Oh, Anything that eats it. midges, definitely. <laughs> you get a sympathy vote, Claire. <laughs> Richie, have you got a did you can? All right, so did you can? And this actually might be beneficial for yourself, Frida, and that stig on your cheek. You can loan plantain weed, the bane of lawns and gardens up and down mm-hmm. the country. Mm-hmm. Know the banana. Um, so listen, it's Sunday name is Plantago Major, by the way. If you make a salve out of it, you take the leaves, you crush them up and you rub them in your hand. It's a fantastic remedy for stings, for nettles and for insects. It's antiseptic and it's soothing and it's actually much more effective than a dock leaf. Very really? Did you yeah. that? Didn't I ken that either? <laughs> Watch out for plant. If you get stung, get get honestly get some plantain leaves and crush them up and rub them into a wee pulp and then pop them on the the sear bit, and it'll, it's it's magic stuff. Honestly, Ken, that's, that's a good bunch of did you kids. Yeah. Okay, fa- far the prize winner this time. Anybody? Ooh. Hmm. Ooh. I don't know, Ken. Was it me? No. no uh, uh, that's for the audience to decide. I think oh. yeah. Let us Ken. I'm good, I'm good. Answers on a postcard. Do we still need postcards? No, we don't need more. Okay, I'm getting I'm the prize this time to Claire because I like that. Pepper straw bats and Claire, definitely. Oh, I love that, Ian. That was brilliant. Right. If you're still bringing papers up midges, as a winner in my book. Yeah. <laughs> but I keep I wondering, fast counting the Susans and midges. There's a sound of somebody going two, three, four. <laughs> Brilliant. If you're still brave enough to go out in your garden after the facts about wasps and others. On we were next question. This is for Fiona Dean, for Dalton. We heard for Paul and Fiona earlier. We've had a great year with the tomatoes. We've got like a bumper crop on all the plants, bunches of them. But uh, they're all green. So we're just not sure about the ripening of them. So the question is, do we just need to have patience? Or we've been reading other things like suggesting you pick them green and put them on your windowsill and get them into sunlight and warmth or pick them and put them in paper bags. We just wondered if you could give us some good sound advice on what to do with this uh, record bunch of tomatoes, a great crop that we're getting this year. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thanks, Fiona. Now, Dave, what would you suggest? Well, there's a few key things today we're writing on tomatoes. First of all, they've got to be full-sized. And then you cut the end of them open and make sure that they're on gel-like substances running about the seeds. If that gel-like substance is there, then you'll get them ripened. If it isn't there, it's off to the cookbook and look for a recipe for green tomatoes. I sometimes put a few in the sun just to see how they go, but it's really ethylene that's your friend with this. Ethylene 
makes the plant produce a hormone that helps it to ripen. So all you can do is put your green tomatoes that you know are full sized and got the gel substance in place in a cardboard box or an old drawer with a ripe banana or an apple and then cover them over. Some folk put them in a paper pot. Keep an eye on them, make sure they don't go and mouldy. And whatever you do, then stack them up on top of one another. Just a nice flat layer in the bottom of a big cardboard box with a, a, a ripe or a couple of ripe bananas in it and cover the box, leave them in the dark, keep an eye on them and they should ripen. Grand. Any idea of it why they're so late this year? I mean, I'm, I'm just speaking on behalf of a few folk again, uh, Linkview and, and, and Paul, that are seeing that they're later uh, in ripening this year. It's just it's just been a queer like season, Frida. It's been hot, it's been warm, it's been warm, it's been hot, it's been wet, it's been dry, and it's all come at the wrong time and it's not come in any order. So plants like ourselves are just kind of like scratching their head and going, what am I supposed <laughs> to be doing? Some <laughs> things are ahead of the game, some things are behind the game. And I think that, I think the tomatoes in general, you know, we had a good pollination, we've had a good set, mm -hmm. but we've not had the sun at the right time to ripen them. And of course, the other thing you can do when the plants are still on the vine is cut the old lower leaves off the tomatoes and let the sun up them, you know. Right, I usually do that anyway. Thank you very, very much, Fiona, and uh, thank you for your answer again, Dave. Right. Every year I plant more much. I have to get into the knack of planting and sowing in moderation. Steve, who are you getting on with the moderation bit? Are you managing to cope with that? Well, up to a point. I've got three wee grow houses now. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> and uh, Dave was saying about packets of seeds. I mean, I'm buying them like they're bags of sweeties. It's just it's oh, every it's time you, you you'll get the gun in the day that badge for that. You need to get blurring. I can, but um, I just getting uh, a box of seeds together and and actually starting to do what Dave says and just planning what we're trying to put in whatever. But it's it's quite difficult. You can you you're wanting mm -hmm. things to come on. I think I'm actually a wee bit the other way. I'm I'm a wee bit. What's the word? Grip it. We we sow in the seeds. Sometimes I'm nay sowing maybe's enough, uh, and when I'm putting a row in, um, to then thin out, find it half a hair to to kind of thin out properly. So I end up no actually putting enough seeds in, to then give myself enough good uh, seedlings to then tack mm -hmm. the the smarines out. But uh, oh, you can yourself. You end up in the the garden centre and, and whatever you know. Been oh, a while okay. looking for autumn autumn colour this this past weekend, and I was doing it mark plants, which it turns out is about five mile away from where we bide. And, oh, uh, wonderful, uh, wonderful put, nursery that uh, wonderful put, place. Put a few quid out my pooch and mm. uh, come home with some autumn gentians and a and a bonnie mechanopsis that I'm going to try and get going. Oh. Mechanopsis Willie Duncan, see if we oh. can get that uh, mm -hmm. going for us. We just need to find a good spot for it. So. Right. Now, David, you and I were at the launch of that Mechanopsis when it was launched at the Garden Show in Edinburgh, weren't you? You remember when I, it was launched? I, that oh, I, I think I, I had mine of that. Gosh, that's, that's, that's a long a time ago. ago. Oh, how does that in look? It's blue. Well, it's a beautiful it's blue, blue obvious. Oh, it's I've a blue. seen it at the Botanics. It's absolutely blue. beautiful. There's lots of different blue different ones kinds, and, a lot of new, and a lot of new cultivars. But that that, that nursery mark plants, fantastic place. I've, I've known it all my career. Utter admiration for what they grow and what they deliver. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. They bring on their own gentians. It's yeah, like Scottish well, names they've got. A lot of those gentians were raised by a man called Ian McNaughton. And he, it was just the culmination of one aspect of his lifetime's work. They really are superb plants. Wonderful things for the garden. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, we'll put moderation to the side for a minute as we enjoy the delicacies that would to be part of what our cook, Claire Patterson, encourages us to mark this season. Claire, your last two recipes, please. So the next recipe for today, I've got a green yoghurt dressing for whatever vegetables Ooh. and the, the fruits of your polytunnels and vegetable gardens and allotments. So I like it with cucumbers that are peeled and de-seeded and chopped up a bit. Some chopped up tomatoes, cherry tomatoes, maybe some radishes, but you know whatever whatever you've got on hand. And the great thing about this is it's one of those recipes that the result is so much greater than the sum of its parts. It looks absolutely stunning, and it's a lovely sort of lunch dish if you're having someone over. So for the mm-hmm. dressing, you mix together in a wee blender: Greek yogurt, olive oil, lemon juice, wee bit of salt, and loads and loads of green herbs. So loads of parsley coriander if you've got it a few chives um and maybe a little bit of mint as well whiz that all up and you get this bright vivid green dressing and then you sort of adjust it a wee bit more lemon if you like it lemony a wee bit more salt if it needs it and then you spread that dressing onto your plate so the dressing goes at the bottom and then you pile your veggies into the middle and it's just like a celebration of the of the harvest really Love that idea. That sounds like a, a simple thing that even I could be doing. You could do that and, and it'll be beautiful. I could do that. That's it. Yes. And then when you've when you've finished all your vegetables and you want something sweet, I've got a blueberry and lemon curd tart. Um so I don't know about the rest of you, we've had a proper glut of berries this year. The the blueberries in the fruit cage are big and fat and amazing and there's wee blueberries up in the hills and everything seems to be um seems to be doing really well. Um, mm-hmm. So for this pudding, it's um, sort of simple, very simple, very elegant. You start with a sweet pastry case, which you can make yourself and blind bake or you can buy it or whatever. And then for the filling of it, you fold together lemon curd into some whipped up double cream and you create a kind of mousse. Pipe that into your pastry case and then pile on your blueberries or your blueberries or whatever you've got onto the top for a lovely summer treat. And you can buy your pastry, but make your own lemon curd because it'll be worth it. Thank you, Claire. That's just lovely. (laughs) Last but not least, we finish this session in our virtual sheds with Dave Mitchell. And his topic for us this time, obviously inspired by our company, Late Doers and Forgotten Heroes. Dave, over to you again. Well, you can already sit in there thinking, oh, it's autumn, the summer's gone, this, uh, you know, winter will be here. You know, get, come on, guys. August, September, there's a bucket load of stuff for the garden. Agapanthus, the Cape um, Blue Lily, the African Blue Lily, fantastic. i got a huge pot at the front door with nine flower heads, about nine inches in diameter on it. Now, Japanese anemones, things like oh, anemone, orange jobber, and Max Vogel, wonderful. The asters, now they have changed their name to Symphytotrichium. Didn't he ask about that? They're still New England asters and Michaelmas daisies to me, things like Harrington's pink and Vars blue, wonderful. Astrantias, Hattie's pin cushion. You get white yens, red yens, pink yens. There's over a hundred different cultivars in the plant finder. Absolutely amazing. Then you got the crocosmias we were talking mm-hmm. about. Didn't forget the dahlias, and then big things like Joe Pieweed, Eupatorium maculatum. It's about two and a half meters high. Great big pink flowers. Wonderful for butterflies and bees. Goltonia candy cans, beautiful. The summer hyacinth, pure white, an absolute gem. 
Heleniums, Nyphophiums, and Lilies. Ah, oh, I've got Lilium lectii in my garden at the moment. Beautiful cream yellow tiger lily. Phenomenal thing. Absolutely wonderful. Things like Lilium regali. You can't beat them. Didn't forget the Phloxes, the big perennial Phloxes. Some folk didn't like them because they get a wee bit mildew and botrytis. But um, Herbs Waltzer is a good variety. It does well. The ice plant. Kind of sedums, it used to be sedum spectabile, um, brilliant. It's now been renamed Hyletophyllum spectabile. It'll only be sedum spectabile to me, but I'm 62 and I'm not bothered. Woodley is, you know, grasses. You know what? There's another three or four months of the garden looking great to come. We shouldn't be getting all miserable and thinking about it. You know, an old friend of mine once gave me a really good piece of advice. If you garden for September, October, November, and December, March, April, and May, the rest of the year will look after itself. And it's very true. If you choose things that flower at that time of year, the bit in the middle, you're either away on holiday and it doesn't matter, or, you know what, there's plenty going on and you never notice the difference. That's great. Okay, and on that note, we close the shady doors again. Join us in the next episode of Grow Radio and visit our website to enjoy the films made with our team member Finn Nixon and to record your garden questions on our super-duper record button www.growradio.com And remember, you can email us at info at growradio.com Just did a hug back, join us. So, for the team, Dave, say, say cheerio. Bye. Okay, Richie. Catch us later. <laughs> Claire. Cheerio, Frida. Steve! All the best, Abdi. <laughs> okay. For me, Frida Morrison, enjoy your garden and he's you back. <laughs> <laughs>